Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, it's been over 100 days since the general election, so what is going on? Oh, take me back to the days where we had full conversations about whether the general election could be held on the 7th of February, the 8th of February, or the 15th of February, and whether we would have a government formed by St. Patrick's Day. They were such simple times. The vote was obviously held on the 8th of February, a Saturday, which is something that made life different back then. Ooh, a Saturday vote. The Irish electorate was decisive in a lot of ways at that vote, returning Sinn Féin candidates as poll toppers across the country. But the overall numbers, which is partly down to Sinn Féin not having second candidates in most constituencies, saw an evening up of the largest three parties, Sinn Féin, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, each winning a share of the vote of between 20 and 25%. In 2016, it took 70 days to form the minority government that we had for the last four years. And on these numbers, many of us predicted that an even more protracted negotiation period would happen this time around, particularly because a lot of the parties set off saying they weren't going to talk to each other. But then COVID-19 happened, the thing that has changed everything. Now, I'm a little unsure whether it actually has changed party politics in Ireland, but that's probably a debate for another day. Today, we're here to find out what exactly has been happening over the last 100 days and what we do know about possible government formations. And to do that, I'm joined by two people who have been living and breathing this stuff over the last three months. They are our very own political correspondent, Christina Finn, and fresh from the telly, Virgin Media's Gav Riley, also News Talk's Gav Riley. I'll give him his full title at the end of the episode. Uh, thanks so much, guys, for joining us on The Explainer today. Christina, I'm going to start with you because we don't have a government. It's been 100 days. Um, I just wanted to see what are the main sticking points um, for why we don't have a government. Well, I think the main sticking point of why we are where we are is still going back to what it was before COVID-19. It's still the numbers that the general election gave us. There was no majority. And that's why Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael are ultimately talking, something that was never predicted, I suppose, to have happened before the general election. But there are other, I suppose, red line issues that are coming out of the talks um, between Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and the Greens so far. And I suppose the biggest one that we've had so far is the 7% um, annual reduction in emissions. That seemed to be the first hurdle that this government formation talks had to get over um, before any progression is made. So I suppose first we had um, Fine Gael saying really there was no way this was going to happen. Um, they were putting it to the Greens to explain how this was going to happen. Then we had Leo uh, Varadkar out on the Late Late Show saying that actually he was really keen to do it. And that was totally against what Simon Coveney had said in terms of slapping down any sort of suggestion from the Green Party's um, Catherine Martin about it. So that's probably been, you know, one of the, the talking points of uh, preventing government formation, perhaps getting where we are um, at the moment. But I think one of the biggest sticking points that perhaps we haven't reached yet even if we do get over the obstacle of forming a programme for government, is going to be actually passing that programme for government to pass the members of each party. It's going to be a really hard sell to members, uh, both in Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, who, uh, quite frankly, don't want to contemplate the idea of being in government together. And also for the Greens, um, because this is a very different horizon that they're looking upon at the moment uh, post-COVID-19. 
before this, remember there was the green wave, um, a lot of green initiatives that um, people would perhaps have liked to see get over the line. But we're looking uh, at perhaps one of the biggest recessions after all of this uh, blows over. Um, and as 1TD said, perhaps some of those green initiatives will have to take a back seat. So that's obviously going to be a huge sell for any uh, Green Party member. That's even if we do get past the programme for government talks at the moment. Yeah, Gav, the, the, Christina says there about members having um, a say in all of this. So even if the big wigs say, right, we've we've come to an agreement on all of this, here's what, what we lay out our government will look like, they do have to go to just the normal, ordinary people who have signed up to these parties. Yeah, and, and that's, I think, that the real issue of why it's taken so long, because I think nobody wants to move too conclusively in any direction or to attach you know, themselves to any particular government configuration unless they're absolutely sure that the members are on board with it. And that's particularly acute for the Green Party because, you know, as Christina w- was alluding to there, the Green Party needs two-thirds of its members to sign on to any programme for government. And that's going to be quite difficult because an awful lot of the Green Party's members, in fact, around three-quarters of them, have only joined the party in the last few years, in the last three years or so. And a lot of them on the back of things like Extinction Rebellion or things like the rise of Greta Thunberg. Um, But everyone then who's been joining the Green Party tends to view Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil as the reasons why Ireland has been such a laggard and they don't really trust the same parties to get on board as well. And similarly, um, although it's been slightly less acute, there's obviously the big issue in Fianna Fáil about whether they can contemplate you know, setting aside the civil war politics that have defined the last century and, and doing a deal with Fine Gael. I think there are those within Fine Gael who are obviously quite uneasy about it, but they accept that it's either we partner up with Fianna Fáil or we allow Sinn Féin into government. and They don't consider Sinn Féin to be acceptable for government in in any shape or form at all. But the Fianna Fáil issue is still really, really prevalent too. And Fianna Fáil are at a really, really acute and delicate point at the moment because having, you know, campaigned for basically the last century saying Fine Gael should never be allowed into power, they have now basically accepted that, in fact, when push comes to shove, Fine Gael are acceptable partners for power. But so they've sacrificed this one core identity thing, but they haven't yet extracted anything in return. They haven't managed to get into power to, to you know, satisfy themselves. They haven't got any track record of delivery in government to stand over. So right now, they're at this really, really delicate point. So I think it's understandable that everyone is really scared about progressing too far into talks unless they're sure that they can bring their members along with them. Because, for example, if, if Micheál Martin were to deliver a programme for government and Fianna Fáil members were to vote it down, you'd be fairly sure that Micheál Martin's days as leader would be numbered because there's no way that he could possibly hang on with any authority over the party. And similarly, at the time that we're recording, the Green Party now apparently also about to venture into a leadership contest in which both Eamon Ryan and his prospective challenger, Catherine Martin, are both kind of tied up as well. What would the process involved uh, be for the memberships voting for or against a programme for government that may or may not come from these talks? Uh, The party rule books would all say that it's supposed to be a special conference, a little bit like the regular annual or desh. Obviously, in the current circumstances with physical distancing and everything else, that's not really going to be tenable. So at best, there will be possibly some sort of nationwide leadership or postal ballot rather, potentially maybe in some circumstances, smaller regional hubs where people can have smaller local meetings and cast their ballots there. But the likely outcome is that it's going to be a postal ballot. And that, of course, will have to be in accordance with each of the party's own rule books as well. So when it comes to Fianna Fáil, it's one member, one vote. Once they've served a couple of years in the party, anyone can get a vote there. And for Fine Gael, it's, it's slightly different because it's only certain officials within each constituency who are allowed 
allowed to vote, but that at least makes it easier to identify who should have the vote. And for the Green Party, it's two thirds of uh, all of their members nationwide, and that includes Northern Ireland. So there could be a few hundred members in Northern Ireland who could potentially hold vital sway uh, on whether the Green Party will ratify any deal that they get out of these talks. And just one last question on the technical side. To be a party member, what does that involve doing? Signing up, paying? Is it different for each one? What what makes someone a member of a political party? It, it is slightly different for each one, but um, generally what makes you a member is that you agree to sign up and you pay your membership fees. But I think as a something of a safeguard to stop people um, you know, pursuing the equivalent of, of ballot stuffing, um, in, in votes like this, generally speaking, you are only allowed to participate in the ballot if you've been a member for X amount of time. I think in some parties that's 18 months. Other parties require you to be a member for, for two or three years. But basically what it requires is that you can't just join on the day, pay your fees and then suddenly have a vote. You need to be a member of a certain amount of standing and it's designed to be um, a little bit more robust. It's one of the rules that usually um, only takes effect when parties are holding um, conventions on who to decide who should be their candidates for Dáil Éireann so that you can't just decide to bring loads of your mates into the room on the night, sign them up as members and then rig the ballot that way. You at least have to be a member of a certain standing where at least you've been on the books and you've paid your fees for a little while so as to make sure that things are robust and that they're not open to being manipulated on the day. Christina, you mentioned there that you didn't think that COVID-19 had actually impacted this process that much in terms of we might still be where we are because of the the other things that are happening. Um, but in practical terms, obviously it has, um, you know, how are negotiations actually physically happening right now? Well, at the moment, um, the negotiations are happening over in Ag House on Kildare Street. Um, so there's the two negotiating teams from Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael and also the Greens. There are a number of meetings ramping up uh, last week and this week two to three meetings per day covering obviously a wide range of issues from Northern Ireland, Brexit, justice issues like direct provision, obviously the climate change issues, housing uh, and, and all the rest uh, heaped in with it. Um, so they're, they're long days and in terms of the COVID-19 uh, crisis, some of them are, um, you know, socially distanced, things they wouldn't have had to contemplate, be it video link through all these negotiations, which Obviously, I suppose, brings a different dynamic to the whole government formation talks, um, one that perhaps no party has ever experienced before. Um, but I do think the COVID-19 crisis has expedited things to a degree in terms of the negotiating teams have been told by the party leaders to get their skates on at the moment and, and to get that programme for government done um, with deadlines coming out of, of about the end of the month. Um, so you would think that perhaps things would be moving along swiftly because of where we are, but perhaps it's, it's not moving as fast as it could. When you when you think back to when this crisis actually began, um, there were calls for a, a need for a government for things to, to speed up, but things have been rather slow in terms of getting any sort of progress um, done. But it, they have been going on for a long time, Gavin, really uh, conscious that your debut on the explainer was on this exact topic <laughs> and that was three months ago yeah back when days of the week mattered they didn't to me because I was swanning around on honeymoon at the time and I didn't care about this process but it's such a long time is it the longest we've ever gone without a government uh, it is the longest that we've ever gone uh, with a caretaker government 102 days and counting at the time of recording it's by far the longest we've had the 70 days that we had uh, four years ago I think were the longest that we've had then and we've obviously surpassed that now by uh, a few weeks 
weeks. And I think, funnily enough, although um, Christina is totally right that the, the negotiating teams have been told to try and get the skates on, but in a funny way, there has also been something of an attitude that COVID has slowed the whole thing down as well. Because first and foremost, when COVID really emerged as this, as this proper emergency, not only from the health perspective, but also from the financial perspective. I think the momentum completely went out of any talks that were taking place at the time. Um, Sinn Féin were, were notably taking the lead at that time. And, and suddenly then everything went completely um, up against the wall, uh, partly because Mary Lynn MacDonald had to uh, stay in quarantine for so long. Firstly, because her own kids had to spend a fortnight off school when their own school was closed. And then because she herself then later contracted COVID-19 and had to spend some time at home as well. Um, it really robbed anyone of any momentum at the time. Uh, but also the Green Party took an attitude that, well, if we're going to have a, a government which is steering its way through the talks and all, uh, or the crisis and dealing with all the, the big things that Fine Gael has had to deal with for the last few months, there has been a, a slight sense of, well, if you form a new government now, you actually have loads of disruption because if you change Taoiseach, if you change Minister for Health, if you change Minister for Finance, you, everyone who's getting, taking over those jobs will have to familiarise themselves with all the myriad things that are going to be on their tables right now. And maybe it makes a little bit of sense to keep Leo Varadkar and Simon Harris and Pascal Donoghue in those roles for the time being, at least to see us through the crisis. And Eamon Ryan has been quite happy to allow the caretaker government linger on in those circumstances. Obviously, he'd like to form a new one, but he doesn't feel the same urgency. So a combination of all those things have meant that it has taken quite a long time to get going. And particularly as well, um, don't forget Fine Gael were taking a very hands-off approach. They were saying, it's not up to us to form a government. We've been beaten in this election. We're going to allow others to form the government. And it was only then when COVID really dragged everything else to a halt that the Green Party, or that Fine Gael rather pulled up its socks and said, maybe it's about time that we tried to, to make some sense out of this and to pull together some talks ourselves. Yeah, Christina, as Gav was saying there, we do have a government at the moment, even though it has been 102 days since the election. How does how does that work? Well, yeah, at the moment we have what is called a caretaker government. So that's basically the government um, that continues until basically we get a new one formed. So th there's nothing in the constitution or the law that, that limits the power of a caretaker government. But there is, I suppose, politically a question mark over its limitations. So at the moment, obviously, um, it's the same faces we've been used to for the last number of years, uh, the same Taoiseach, this, you know, the same people um, sitting at the cabinet table. But that's probably the, the, the biggest concern for some people in terms of we have some unelected ministers who some who didn't actually run in the last general election and others who didn't get voted in by their their constituency. So we have Regina Darty, Shane Ross, Catherine Sapone, uh, to name but a few. And Obviously, they're making huge, huge decisions during this COVID-19 pandemic, um, decisions that impact the lives of everybody in the country. And that's perhaps why we've seen this week the likes of Aintu's Padre Tobin say that he wanted to float um, new legislation that would change um, the concept of swapping out ministers that were unelected. Um, and perhaps maybe that is a solution into the future. But another solution, obviously, would be the timely formation of a government after an election. And, and that's obviously something that we haven't seen as of yet. Yeah, Gav, you, we've heard this a lot, particularly from opposition politicians, that, you know, there's a cabinet uh, working right now with no mandate. Um, and particularly because there's a number of unelected ministers. How is that working during the Dáil sittings that we are having? Like, there's people going into the Dáil who aren't TDs. Is that correct? 
Yeah, it's a bit of a novelty. In fact, today, actually, we're going to see uh, Regina Doherty make her debut in the Dull Chamber as well. At the time of recording, we're recording this on a Wednesday and Regina Doherty is due in the chamber this afternoon. And it is quite weird, the idea that someone is going in to preside over questions and answers in the Dole. And in fact, they're not a member of the Dole itself. Now, that's because, as, as Christina was saying, constitutionally, the country can never be without a government. So even if the Dole is incapable of electing a new one, we have to hang on to the old one. But there's also another separate clause in there that says that any member of the government has the right to show up and to be heard and speak in either of the houses of the Oireachtas, which means that irrespective of whether they are still TDs or not, Regina Doherty has the right to show up, as, as does Shane Ross, as does Catherine Zappone, to show up in the Dáil Chamber and to speak and take questions uh, on their specific issues. And I guess in some ways you can argue that if they are constitutionally required to stay in office, then that's only right, because um, mo as much as people might find it difficult or, or intolerable that Regina Doherty lost her seat in February is no longer a member of the Dole at all and yet is now presiding over the highest spending department in the land. At least if she's going to do that she should be amenable to the Dole to show up and to answer questions about it and I think personally I would rather uh, even if she isn't a TD I would rather have her show up and take questions uh, than to be completely unaccountable at all. Because some people had uh, mentioned the idea or this may have happened that junior ministers would take their place because they had remained as TDs. Yeah, that had happened in, in some instances before. There was a couple of questions a few weeks ago about uh, tourism and sport. And Shane Ross is the cabinet minister responsible for that. But he allowed his junior minister, um, Brendan Griffin, to take those questions. And indeed, previously, where the Dáil has decided to discuss um, issues of social protection, Pascal Donoghue had gone in to take the place of Regina Doherty because it was generally considered that if they were largely financial questions that Pascal Donoghue was in good shape to take them. But Catherine Zappone broke the precedent a couple of weeks ago. She decided to go in and take questions about childcare and how it would all be handled, irrespective of the fact that she wasn't a TD anymore. And that seems to have sort of set the precedent or broken the dam, if you will. And since then, we have had Shane Ross in the Dáil Chamber and then today we'll have Regina Doherty completing it. So just so I'm really clear, and this is definitely straight in my head, we are currently on the 33rd Dáil, but we're still on the 31st government. Is that correct? It's whichever government was elected by the 32nd Dáil remains the government, irrespective of the fact that that Dáil has now been dissolved. Because a, gov a government is only ever really dissolved when a new one is ready to take its place. So even though the 33rd Dáil hasn't been able to elect any Taoiseach at all, and even though Leo Varadkar put his name forward and was beaten and had to resign, the constitution is pretty clear and there's good reason for it. It basically says that you can never not have a government. So irrespective of how unpopular they are, it means the outgoing ministers have to stay there and take command of their, their departments and make all the decisions that governments do until someone else has been elected by the Dáil to replace them. And that obviously is subject to, to certain constraints because obviously that government can't really now just table any old law and get it passed as they like. They would need to to get an unwilling doll, perhaps to, to sanction it. That's what happened um, in the couple of weeks um, in the early days when they passed emergency laws to deal with COVID-19 and to create new financial assistance and all of that. But but in other terms, it's the same as any other government. In fact, although we are talking, talking about it as a caretaker government, uh, that's not a term which exists in the constitution explicitly. There is really technically no such thing as a caretaker government. They are still the government. It just so happens that they weren't elected by the doll that's there right now. Okay, I've got my head around that. So I have one more technical question for you. The Shannon, what's happening there? 
<laughs> what's happening there nothing there there isn't one uh, there so there is uh there's there's varying legal opinions about this but the legal opinion that's been given to the government and the one that they're working off is that the Shannon can't sit until all 60 seats in the Shannon have been filled now there was a Shannon election about nearly two months ago at this stage and, and 49 of the seats have been filled uh, six of them through the university panels and 43 of them through what's called the vocational panels uh, but the Shannon hasn't been completely filled yet because 11 out of the 60 seats are filled directly by the Taoiseach and the constitution says specifically that it can't be an outgoing caretaker Taoiseach who does it. It has to be a newly elected Taoiseach who's been elected by the incoming Dáil. So only when a new government is formed and the Dáil elects a Taoiseach can that Taoiseach then appoint the remaining 11 seats and then apparently only when all 60 seats have been filled can the Shannon actually start doing its work. It does mean that uh, the new uh, Shannon can't meet and therefore can't pass any laws. So although a few emergency laws were rushed through the Dáil and the outgoing Shannon before the new one took over, um, it's now the case that, uh, for example, if there's issues with the wage subsidy scheme and it turns out there's a few loopholes or lacunas in it, it seems that some of them can't be fixed until you're actually capable of passing a new law. And right now, irrespective of whether there is completely unanimous support in the Dáil for it, you can't send a law to the Shannon because a Shannon doesn't exist. So right now, emergency governments, uh, you know, making huge decisions, spending more money than has ever been spent before, um, you know, slightly constrained parliamentary or Dáil oversight of it. And they're also, by the way, completely unable to pass laws of their own desire. So just to pick out, a, you know, completely hypothetical situation, if by chance the courts made loads of uh, illegal substances legal by accident, like they've done in the past, <laughs> or not by accident, but they knew what they were doing. Yeah, that, that they basically said that if, if the law that, that renders all of these substances to be illegal is in fact invalid and gets struck down, there is nothing that the Dáil or the government right now can do about it because any law needs to be approved by both the Dáil and the Shannon. There is no workaround around that. So right now, the, the legislative process has completely ground to a halt. In fact, if you consider Michael D. Higgins' main job to be to sit up in the oars and to scrutinise um, any laws that might come his way, you can basically just give him holidays for the next couple of months because it's literally impossible for any law to be presented to him until there's a new government. So, Christina, back to you on the, the party politics of this because that should light a fire um, under everybody, if anything. And we have seen in the last few years those things happen. Um, so... It's probably not, we've probably lost sight of how significant this is, but Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, is that coalition now set in stone? They have decided they will go in together. It is the most likely option that we're facing at the moment, but that's really all dependent, I suppose, on whether they get somebody else to go in with them. They certainly don't seem to be minded um, to go in together, just the, just the pair of them. They want somebody to tack on to the side to be able to sell it that this is a government for change. That's the sort of narrative we've obviously heard since February that people demand a change and this is what they're going to deliver. It's sort of ironic, I suppose, that it's Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael that, that seem to be saying that, that, that they represent this. But, you know, I think basically it, it comes down to, to who they might get to go in with them. Speaking yesterday to one person close to the um, negotiating talks, they were only saying it was 50-50 that the Greens would go into them, which is a big concern, I suppose, about whether a Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael government is set in stone at this stage. And what about the other smaller parties? Have all they have they all ruled themselves out at this point? Well, there's been a lot, I suppose, of statements back and forth between Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael 
Um, we had the Social Democrats, Labour and also the Greens sending off sort of questionnaires to Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael about, we have a number of questions about what it would mean if we went into government and we want all these answers sent back and then they were going to go back to their members and have a chat and see whether they could actually play ball with them. So we've had the SOC Dems have essentially ruled themselves out of going into any future government. Um, and, and Labour have been interesting in terms of, there's been, I think, two statements from Adam Kelly in terms of whether he would contemplate going back into government. Um, but the, the, the choice of language, I suppose, that Alan Kelly has used is a, that there are other parties who got a bigger mandate, that they should all to get together and have the talks. Um, and they weren't willing to, to get involved at the moment, seemed to be sort of the narrative. Now, some people around Leinster House have said that if the Greens falter and decide not to go in with Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, the pressure would be put on Labour to reconsider their position. Um, but but on the flip side of that also, if, if the Greens decided that they were not going to go in with Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, some people have suggested that the pressure would very much mount on uh, Micheál Martin to perhaps go back to Sinn Féin. So I suppose Sinn Féin is an interesting one in terms of they've got a massive number of seats in the last general election and have been somewhat absent from the discussion around government formation for the last number of weeks. Gav, who holds the power in this? Could it be Mary Lou or is it still with Leo and Michal? Uh, it's with uh, less so with Mihol because I think Mihol is is in a very vulnerable position for some of the reasons that I said earlier on that that if this arrangement falls apart and we end up possibly being flung into a second election, uh, Mihol Martin and Fianna Fáil in general are in quite a weak position. Uh, Leo Varadkar still does have some power because bear in mind uh, he is the only person who can ask uh, for another general election to be triggered. Um, Michael D. Higgins still has the, the prerogative to decline him. Uh, he can refuse and tell them all to knock heads together a little bit longer. Um, but Leo does still have that as something of a trump card. And, and that's why, by the way, there was a little bit of a row over the weekend between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael because it emerged that uh, some civil servants in the Department of Housing, which is run by Fine Gael through Owen Murphy, that they were looking at how you would go about holding a general election in the current circumstances. And, and that got some Fianna Fáil people really, really concerned because they know that they'd be very vulnerable in that kind of circumstance. Um, Eamon Ryan does still have uh, quite a bit of power, assuming, of course, that he remains the Green Party leader after what we were talking about earlier on as well. Um, but the Greens are still very much in, in sort of kingmaker mode because um, if the Greens decide they are unhappy with whatever Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael put in front of them. Um, the Greens could still go back to, to Sinn Féin and see if they could go about trying to pull together a majority that way. Uh, the numbers would still be very difficult if you add Fine Gael and the Greens together, or the Sinn Féin and the Greens together, you still only get 49 seats. You're ages away from the majority of 80, but it would create a sense of momentum. Um, but I think there's, uh, to answer your question, really, part of the reason why it's taken so long to pull anything together in this is because truly... Nobody really has the power that if you take any two of the three largest parties, they still don't have the numbers together to to get into a, a majority. And even if Eamon Ryan is considered to be the kingmaker, he does have to bring two thirds of his members along with him as well. So part of the reason why it's taken so long, I think, is because the, the doll is now so fractured that nobody really has the clout to throw their weight around and to actually get stuff done. Gav, it strikes me that we're often very smug about the voting system we use, PRSTV, where we vote down the ballot, you know, one to, one to 12 or whatever it is for our preferences, because um, we often compare ourselves to Britain where they use first past the post. Um, but is this a downside to that system that we use? 
Yeah, I, th- I think so, that if you take uh, any constituency that has between three and five TDs, it's now quite common that all of the TDs from that constituency will all represent different parties. In fact, it's quite rare now in any constituency after the last election for any party to hold more than one seat in that area. And that's what makes it very, very difficult, because if you have a situation where every constituency has three or four or five different parties, then none of them have any huge sway. Now, obviously, that means that when a government is eventually formed, it should have a broad majority of, of public backing, because if it's got, you know, a, the Greens and Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, then, you know, the, the principle of PRS TV is that those TDs represent a critical mass of public consensus view. So it should be all right. But it does certainly mean as a downside that if you result in a, a fractured doll like we have right now, it can take ages to pull something together. Simon Coveney has said a couple of times on record that if the public wanted to make it harder to try and find a new government, they, they couldn't really have made it much harder than the doll that they've returned. And, and that's probably true because when you have three core chunks like we have, no two of which can command a majority, and when they have all historically hated each other so much, it's really, really difficult to bury some of that previous animosity and actually to come up with any kind of a consensus deal that can get the majority of those members on side. But Christina, there there was an agreement between Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil at some stage over the last 100 days. Did we lose sight of how significant that was? I think perhaps in the grand scheme of things, when we were dealing with, you know, the COVID-19 crisis, um, had that not been on uh, happening at the time, there would have been a, a really big focus on the historical divisions between the two parties. You would have seen probably a lot more opinion pieces and discussions about it on the radio. But it it did kind of fall flat a bit in terms of, OK, you're talking to each other, you've agreed to, to go into talks together now get on with it seemed to be more of the attitude of the public in terms of what we were facing. Um, But it is still significant in terms, perhaps more so for the members of um, those parties rather than the general public that are going around um, their everyday lives at the moment who perhaps are just looking at the stalemate that is is ongoing and wondering um, exactly what we're trying to explain here is why we don't have a government. Like there have been... um, agreement struck between the two parties in terms of their goals and what they want to achieve perhaps in the next government. Uh, if I can just come in on that, I, th- I think yeah, one anecdote that really reminds me of how all of this, uh, you know, how it's been overlooked is that um, I remember on the BBC News at 10 the day after the Brexit referendum, the resignation of the Prime Minister was only the fourth item on the news uh, because of just how much news there had been in the previous 24 hours. And uh, this, the, the deal between Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil sort of reminds me of that. Just while Christine has been speaking there, I've been looking back over my notes and I think that the two leaders agreed on March the 10th that they would formally try and pull together a government involving their two parties. But on the same day, there was uh, panic buying and the idea of empty shells being reported in some shops. Ryanair had cancelled some flights. Um, Simon Coveney had said that Ireland should prepare for the worst. It was also speculated that schools were about to close, which they ended up doing uh, two days later. I remember being lined up in in our running order for the the Virgin Media News at 5.30 to talk about how historic this deal was going to be. And I think it was like 16 or 17 minutes into the bulletin before it actually got to me, just because there was so much other stuff going on, all of which was absolutely worthy and completely vital. But we did completely overlook just how significant it was that the two parties, which together had dominated politics for nearly 100 years in this country and whose whose reason for being was almost to deliberately keep the other out, how they had now decided that they were going to finally shack up together. 
And again, that it's not not a done deal. They haven't got they haven't got the keys to any house yet. So we could be in a situation where like nothing happens from any of these talks and we're going back to a general election. Uh, potentially. Yeah. I mean, it, again, it's it's you have to figure out exactly how you're going to be able to count to 80. And if you look at the door right now, try and find any configuration that brings you up to 80 seats. Uh, it's really, really difficult. It's part of the reason why the Green Party was advocating having a, a national unity government where basically everyone was in power together at the start because such was the crisis we were in, but also such was the the fragmented doll that it was so difficult to pull anything together. And, and ultimately, that's what it comes back to. How does anyone uh, figure out a way to count to 80? So even if Sinn Féin are able to finally get some talks together and, and patch together some alternative. Sinn Féin of 37, you add in the five votes of Solidarity People for Profit, that brings you to 42. You add in the Greens, that's 54. Even if you convince the Social Democrats and maybe even Labour to get involved, that still only brings you to 66. And then you have to try and convince 14 or 15 other independent TDs to get on board with you. And it wouldn't make for a, a very stable government because anyone resigning would bring the whole thing down. It's probably part of the reason why eventually Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael re, uh, realised that they were perhaps being compelled to try and work together. But as you said, nothing is, is guaranteed. And just because Fianna Fáil TDs or, or the Green Party's TDs might ultimately accept that this is the only possible arrangement, when you go back to Fianna Fáil members and you tell them that you're ending a century of civil war politics and you tell them that Fianna Fáil will now be going into government alongside the party that they're their father or their grandfather or their great grandfather, you know, fought in the civil war against. It's going to be a very, very difficult sell. And don't underestimate how much of a cultural demand it will be for the ordinary members of Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael on the ground to accept that they are now destined to do business with their their longtime sworn enemy. I think it'll be a, a really, really difficult sales pitch. And and if they don't, and we were sent back to a, a second general election, I'm just thinking of the, the thing that Coveney said that you just brought up there that the Irish people couldn't have given us a harder uh, numbers make up to make a government. Maybe we'd, we'd take that challenge and make it even harder. <laughs> Maybe we would. But of course, then the separate challenge is how do you even go about holding an election? I mean, some of the speculation at the weekend involved giving everyone over 70 or everybody who's cocooning a postal vote. That would require... In, in ordinary circumstances, a change to electoral law. But as we were discussing earlier, because there is no Shannon at the moment, you can't change electoral law. So how you would even go about trying to fulfil all the legal requirements of holding a general election at a time when you're not supposed to stand within two metres of anyone else, uh, it'll be a huge logistical challenge as well as the political questions that it might throw up if there was to be one. It is mind-boggling to think how you could actually have an election perhaps run over three or four days, as seemed to be one idea that was floated. would have been obviously great for uh, political nerds like myself and Gav in terms of uh, a long stretched out election that, uh, and I don't even know how a count would work. So it, it really would just be mind blowing in terms of how they actually would go about organising that. But I think it would also be really interesting to see the outcome of that because we have seen in recent polls that Fine Gael have, you know, increased their popularity somewhat through their um, management of this crisis um, before all this was happening, there was questions about Mary Lou, about why she didn't field more candidates um, in the general election. And if, if there was going to be another one, um, there was expectations that she would throw the kitchen sink at another general election. And what sort of fruit that would deliver for her party would be really interesting, I think, uh, post-COVID-19. And, and Fianna Fáil, I think, when you look at it, a really really stuck in, in an identity crisis at the moment I think with these government talks uh, Michal Martin 
you know, desperate to be the Taoiseach, the, the Fianna Fáil leader that, that hasn't been one yet. And, and I think after any of these government formation talks, whether they do um, prove fruitful, eyes will be on who is going to be the next Taoiseach, um, Leo or Michal, who will get the first rotation of that gig. If, if it happens at all, I have a feeling, guys, that you both might be back here in 100 days' time with me asking, how are we 200 days in? But you've explained really well why we are where we are right now. So thanks so much, Gav. Thank you very much, Christina, for joining us on The Explainer today. Thank you for listening to The Explainer and a big thank you to Christina and Gav for joining us. As I mentioned, you can catch Gav on Virgin Media Television and you can also hear him on News Talk from 11am on Sunday mornings for his own show on the record. If you enjoyed this chat and learned something, we have loads more for you. Check out our back catalogue where you'll find other shows on government formation, but also on the coronavirus, which we've been covering in depth over the last few weeks. You'll find episodes on how to read data properly, how the government is planning to reopen Ireland and what testing regimes in Ireland look like right now. This episode of The Explainer was brought to you by executive producer Christine Bowen, producer Aoife Barry and assistant producer and tech operator Nikki Ryan. If you're enjoying these episodes, please, please, please leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And importantly, share with a friend who you think will enjoy them too. Thank you and catch you next time.